absolutely ridiculous. So I'm pleased to say I'm joined now by uh, Tim Garner, who's coordinating the event on behalf of PSA and making sure that all the protocols in place are being followed. Thanks for joining us on the show, Tim. No problem. Pleased to be here, Stuart. So first off, can you just give us a little bit of insight into how the event got put on the calendar? What sort of uh, obstacles you had to over, overcome behind the scenes back in the UK? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the event was originally scheduled for um, <clears throat> May of this year. Um, <clears throat> we um, gradually pushed it back as it sort of became apparent that the COVID situation was, wasn't going to go away. Um, and we always kind of anticipated this would probably be the first event we would try to put on because we knew we would have the most control over um, an event in the UK. And obviously the, the setup in Manchester is, a, is one that we're very familiar with. Um, so we've been looking at what we needed to do over the um, last few months. Uh, we were aware that the UK government had started to allow um, cross-border um, events. Um, there was a, a calendar of events that basically had exemption from international travellers having to quarantine for two weeks because effectively they were quarantining within the, the, the squash bubble or within the sports bubble that was being created. Um, so we had to contact the DCMS um, get the event added to that list um, once we were confident that we were going to push the button on making it try to ha try to make it happen. Um, it gets added to the list and then you have to contact Public Health England via their local um, director, um, so Public Health Manchester, um, get the green light from them, send them the list of uh, protocols and uh, sort of the procedures you're going to be putting in place to ensure that the, it's a secure environment for everyone that comes to the event, but also keeps effectively the National Health Service protected by not bringing a number of sort of potentially um, infectious people into, uh, into our country. Um, and then from that point on, we had to work hard to work out how we were going to make sure we implemented it um, to, to create that environment to make a, a, a successful event, but a safe event. And in terms of now that the players are on site, and obviously they started arriving about a week ago, What's the procedure been there? I know that they had to undergo testing initially um, before they could be essentially approved to start living inside the bubble. When the players arrived um, at the McDonald Hotel, uh, they had to basically go to their rooms on arrival. Um, they had to self-isolate. We set up a, uh, a testing facility where we swab tested on the morning of Tuesday um, in the hotel in the Piccadilly room. Um, we engaged a company called Signpost who've looked after the testing for the European PGA Tour for six events that happened back in sort of August and September. Um, and they also look after a number of sort of TV production companies, uh, film sets, things like that, where they need to have regular testing. They came on site. We swab tested everybody. I think it was 93 tests on Tuesday morning. Um, everyone had to self-isolate. Um, they took the results to their mobile lab that they had set up um, here at the National Squash Centre, and then they uh, sent through the test results and we informed everybody that thankfully um, they'd had a negative test and we were then able to allow them to sort of um, enter the bubble effectively. Um, what that means is we have a room at the McDonald Hotel, uh, which they're able to go into um, to socially distance to eat. But apart from that, effectively, they are down. They have to um, stay in their rooms apart from when they get transport to the um, to the hotel. So has there been any subsequent test testing since last Tuesday? 
Uh, yes, so we did another round of tests on the 18th and 19th, um, which basically test every three stroke four days, um, depending on the sort of playing schedule. Uh, we had another 51 tests that day, because obviously a number of the players, when they, lo- when they lost, they were allowed to stay in the hotel for one more night, and then effectively they, well, everyone left the next day. Um, so we were down to 51, and I'm pleased to say we had another 51 negative tests. So we've, we've sort of, uh, we've come through the event so far, touch wood, um, with a clean bill of health, which kind of shows that what we've tried to achieve has been successful as far as we can. Um, so like I said, going back to the bubble, effectively they have areas of the hotel that they can be, which is their hotel room, a large area where they can socially distance and eat. Um, and also we had a one room where we booked it out with gaps in between for them to be able to do some exercise because for this event, we haven't allowed practice because we couldn't, um, we weren't able to implement a safe transport schedule that enabled all the players who didn't have cars to get to the national squash center to be able to practice. Um, so we moved the, the start time fractionally early than we normally would have. So the matches started at 11, um, but it meant there was no practice on the days of play. So we tried to create a couple of places where they, the players were able to do some form of exercise, but again, in a safe environment, uh, one at the hotel and one, one down here for people with, with transport. So looking ahead, we've got two big events in Egypt coming up. Is, is it going to be similar there or is there anything you've learned from this event that you're going to either change or is there different um, government guidelines? Yeah, it'll be a similar environment. I mean, you know, just, just to complete the bubble, basically here, um, as you can see, when everyone arrives at the venue, they have to do a daily health check on the desk. Uh, they also get their temperature checked. Um, we keep a record of who's been into the venue um, like every day. We keep a record of who's used which courts for practice. So we allocated a court for their warm-up area. So we know exactly who's been on those courts. Um, the players were only allowed to, tra- to travel with their um, opponent on the day. Um, that way we limit the, any sort of cross-infection between players um, because obviously we want to try and minimise the contact between players. You can't do anything about it when they're actually on the court playing each other. So they can travel in a car together to come here and go, go back to the hotel. But that's the only person they can travel with. Um, at the venue um, it's very limited we space the matches out to try and minimise the number of people actually at the venue at any one time um, to, again to create a safe environment we have cleaners who are on who clean the, the warm up courts immediately after the players go onto court and then they clean, up, clean the match court and the players area immediately after the match finishes before the next matches go on so um, trying to keep a very strict sort of regime changing rooms you can only access it via a key that i have once they've used it then the cleaners go in they clean it before the next person might go in and use it um so it's those sort of things that we'll definitely try and transfer to egypt obviously the first event is the cib world tour finals next week um that's a relatively easy event in as much that it's only eight 16 players eight men eight women um we'll try and create a pretty strict bubble in terms of interaction, particularly between the players and anyone else. Um, obviously the, the, the sort of the, the PSA staff, physios, referees, broadcast staff will be in sort of within the same bubble environment. Um, we will, but the players will be pretty restricted in terms of what they can do again. Um, probably give them a little bit more fresh air than they've managed here just because it's, it, it's Egypt. So it's possible to be outside um, within the hotel bounds and still socially distance. Um, so, you know, that's certainly the plan next week is to try and create what we've learned from here and implement it as far as possible in Egypt. Um, and then moving on from the tour finals, 
we move on to the CIB Egyptian Open, which again is a much bigger event with 96 players, but we'll have another event under our belt to sort of try and make sure we achieve the same thing. I think we're using the Mina House Hotel where again, all the players will have singular occupancy rooms. Uh, we're using the new Giza club and the players will be restricted to really to those two areas when they're actually in the, in the tournament until they leave and they go home. Well, that's great then. Um, just want to say thanks for joining us on the show. I think on behalf of everyone that's been watching this week, we've loved having live squash back and we've certainly enjoyed the quality of squash, which uh, for myself and Arthur and Chris has been surprisingly high. We were sort of unsure what sort of level everyone would be at, but it seems like the, the players have picked up exactly where they left off back in March. So great job yeah. by you and everyone at PSA and thanks a lot. No, my pleasure. I mean, it's, it's you know, we all wanted to get our sport back to back in action and hopefully keep moving, moving things forwards. Okay, that was Tim Garner there. Awesome stuff. Uh, sounds like they had their work cut out this week and they've done an amazing job. We've heard nothing but good things. And for us personally, it's just been amazing to watch them live squash. My name is Arthur Gaskin. With me as ever is Christopher Sackley and Stuart Crawford. This is the Around the Course Squash podcast. How are we doing, fellas? Semi-final days. I'm doing good, but I've just watched about six hours of squash straight and my brain's a little bit fried. <laughs> I, got a, I got a little squash watching in, a little squash playing in, and then finished off, uh, finished off with the final match of the evening. So I missed a little bit in the middle. Just trying to get fit over here, trying to keep up with you guys. I missed about 15 minutes to have dinner, and that's about it. <laughs> Jeez. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why didn't you watch it at dinner? Well, I thought that was a little bit rude, given that my girlfriend had cooked it for me. Yeah. I mean, she, you could, she, she did watch a lot of squash as well today. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I mean, 15 minutes of your attention is, is fair. To be honest, it's probably as much as she wants. <laughs> Love it. Let's get stuck in what? So, starting with the women's draw. Camille Sarm. Yeah, before we get stuck in, I just want to highlight that we all made our predictions yesterday and I think I came out on top with three out of four. You boys got two out of four, which makes you no better than a coin flip, so better luck next time. (laughs) Both my losses were essentially coin flips, 11-9 in the fifth, 11-7 in the fifth, come on. Yeah, you've got all those ones, Chris. They're the the ones that make or break it. Yeah, true. But yeah, first match of the day, um, obviously a repeat of... Um, a matchup that's been pretty common over the last year um, and it didn't fail to deliver again. I think uh, that's the third time in their last four matches. Sorry, I'm talking about Camille Serum and Hanya Hamami, just if anyone's unsure. But the the third time in the last four matches that they've, the match has finished, 11-9 in the fifth, one way or the other. Um, but yeah, um, Camille got revenge, two love up. Uh, had a match ball in the third, looked like she might have blown it. Hanya came back strong in the fourth, and uh, it was tight all the way in the fifth, and Camille just managed to sneak it. That's where Arthur's prediction, if it gets really tough, Camille just might have a little bit more experience. That was one thing he said right this week, I think. Yeah, the man. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did. It, to be fair, if she would have had a match ball, and then ended up losing, you'd look very different right now where you're sitting. But I don't. <laughs> <laughs> she saved you. Thanks, Camille. Thanks for saving yeah. Arthur. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Like, their matches are always incredible to watch. 
contrast of styles that they seem to match up really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it, I think they've got quite similar styles. They both like to hit the ball with quite a lot of pace. Um, I actually thought one of the things Hanya didn't do as well as she did back in black ball was mix the pace quite as well. I thought, um, although she plays at a relatively fast pace, she still does use some subtle variations, which yeah, yeah it seemed like she just wanted to try and steamroller Camille, which is what she's obviously done in the previous rounds, but I think Camille's just too good for that, and you really have to vary it and mix things up a little bit more, and she maybe just didn't find that balance quite as well as she has in the past. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the second women's semi-final, um, Noura Altayeb against Sarah Jane Perry. I think that was the only one that we agreed on yesterday when we all predicted a tie-up win. Ended up being a lot tougher than I probably anticipated. I don't know about you guys, but um, Sarah yeah. Jane Perry could have and probably should have been 2-1 up. She had game ball. I think she had three game balls in the third to go 2-1 up. She would yeah. have made a very different match. Yeah, that would have really put Nora on the, on the back foot. But uh, Sarah Jane Perry, I like really impresses me. Like she's so when she's on form, like she's so good, and she's such a great competitor as well. I really like watching her. But she, you can never rule her out per se, even if things aren't going well for her. Like in her first round match or her second round match against Holly Norton, like when she looked dead and buried at one point and came right back. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive. Like. You kind of hope that in a tournament like this when people have been off for a while to maybe they get a little bit better each day, but um, she definitely showed it, right? She definitely showed some good jumps every day, which is which is uh, key. Yeah, the, the tie match in particular is really interesting because, well, I didn't realize this before the match, but she's never beaten tie She's She was 7-0 and against her. She's now 8-0. Um, and Tayeb's actually probably the only top player that she's not had at least one win against because she's beaten Shabini, she beat um, Renim before she retired. Fairly sure she's beaten Camille. Um, not sure about Gohar, but um, but yeah, there's just something about the the, the Tayeb matchup, and I think it's because she likes to use the full court and open things up. And although she holds well, she tends to cross court a bit more than. Um, you probably need to against Tayeb and it was just really a battle of her fighting her natural instincts which is to open up and use her skills and attack but then also knowing that maybe that wasn't the best idea against Tayeb and then trying to sort of contain herself a little bit but also knowing that there was no point in just hacking to the back because again that probably wasn't going to work so yeah it was a really interesting tactical battle between the two of them and for for two games second and third she really did it and probably deserved a third, I thought. Um, Taya was un- unstoppable at the beginning, went 7-1 up, I think, in the first, and then closed it out. And then again in the fourth, she just got that momentum that we talked about, got on top and just went through. And I regretfully missed the uh, Muhammad Elsherbaggy paul Cole match, but it must have been a doozy. Can you give us the little play-by-play, Stuart? <laughs> yeah, I might as well make use of my six hours of squash watching. Yeah, um, it was it was interesting comparing the two men's semi-finals. Very very different matches in terms of the pace they were played at. The the Shibagi Paul Cole match was very tactical. Um, neither of them 
really hitting the ball too hard, making sure that they were accurate and preferring to find their, their targets and hit the back corners rather than just um, play it, play with pure pace. Um, and then when they got the chance, they would step onto a ball and take it early. Uh, another thing I noticed was Shibagi, you could see, Shibagi loves taking the ball into that front left corner, plays that little straight backhand drop or volley drop or even just sort of sliding it in, not not quite a drop, not quite a kill, but just putting it in medium pace and tight. But he was really wary of that against Paul because he knows Paul can counter him so well. And again, a bit like what I just said about Sarah Jane having to fight her natural instincts. felt like a large part of the match was Shibagi trying to resist that, but also knowing that he had to look for other areas to attack Paul. Um, but yeah, it was really... Really engaging tactical battle where they're both trying to work the ball, really high quality. Like there wasn't a single period where they dropped off in terms of their accuracy too much. Well, I, I wonder, like, was his weariness going into that front left? I know we discussed it when we talked about the moment Paul called match and how Paul was just so good. At, like, obviously, moments like a, a wizard in that front left corner as well, and certainly putting the ball into that area. But every time that he did it, it was neutralised or counterattacked really well. And I just wonder, did did Chibagi watch that match and just sort of think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't put the ball in there as a result of that because that's Paul's one of his biggest weapons. But then that sort of, to a degree, goes against some of his in- instincts, but also strengths, I would say as well. Yeah, I agree. The other possibility is that it's something that he's looked at from their match back in Windy City when he lost to Paul for the first time. And maybe he's looked at that match and tried to figure out where Paul was able to hurt him. I, I didn't actually see that match, so I can't comment on that. But that's another possibility. Yeah. Um, and and how how'd the fifth go? The fifth? 11-7. 11-7, El Shabagi, but was it... Uh, I'm trying to remember the... Anyone get a nice lead? You get your brain fried. You got brain fried. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. swear you're watching squash for six hours. Yeah. I mean, you had a break for 15 minutes, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, I honestly can't remember how, how it went, who got a lead, <laughs> how it played out. Well, I can tell you, we all know how it finished. The other semi-final actually was a bit of a contrast, just much more pure ball striking, both hitting the ball probably harder than, well, definitely harder than uh, Colin Shabagi. And it was really just a, a contest of who could hit the ball the cleanest, the most accurate, but at pace. Um, and obviously, when they took it in short, they both did it extremely well and took pace out of the ball then. But their, their driving was much less subtle, but just such good straight lines from both of them. I mean, Gawad in the first two games was exceptional. First game in particular. I mean, he got his... His unusual start, I would say, of actually playing out his skin in the first and winning at 11-4. Yeah, he made another post inter- post-game interview joke about that, and he said, I won the first, which, yeah, it's good because it's not like me. Um, and, then he, and then he just kind of rattled off some other, some other things. But uh, he, he actually, in his, in his press conference after his little interview, he was pretty – pretty easy on Marwan. He's just such a cool character, you know, like he looked a bit uncomfortable. I tuned in for the fourth, so <laughs> I got back right for the last game, but uh, yeah, he looked, he looked pretty upset on court, 
pretty uncomfortable trying to navigate Marwan's movement off the ball, which uh, I thought was a little bit brutal. Would be the word. He only I would really be. started. <laughs> he only started to get frustrated with that in the third or fourth. The first two games he de- dealt with it, and I think so. His head-to-head record with Marwan is pretty good. I think he's now eight, after, eight four. I think eight four. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons, if you compare the way Ali deals with it, is Gawa's just basically not frustrated by it. He doesn't really show any emotion. He just kind of goes around Marwan as well as he can. And I think it frustrates Marwan that it doesn't frustrate uh, <laughs> Gawad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, totally, yeah. Like if you're trying to get someone sucked into that kind of like nitty gritty stuff and they're just not biting, it actually gets even. Yeah. And it not only does, it, does he not bite, he just kind of goes around it. And it's like Marwan starts to look a little bit silly for even trying it when it's having so little effect. So he then just goes, oh, well, this doesn't really have any effects. So I'll stop doing it. And the game gets a bit cleaner. Where it did come back into play is when it got a bit tighter. And I mean, they were both fairly tense at the end. And I thought it actually came back to bite Marwan because he, uh, Gawad got a couple almost like pity lets. And by pity, I mean the ref saw the movement was intentional to block Gawad out. And it probably would have been a no let if, if, if uh, Marwan would have just gave a little bit more space. And I think, but I think that's why you need a good referee, right? Like you can't reward that kind of stuff at the end of the match. You have to let the guy make an attempt to go get the ball. Um, So I liked it, but yeah, I I thought it was hilarious in the post game that, you know, they, they mentioned, yeah, it got pretty physical and chippy in there. You know, how, how did it feel? And he gave like one little kind of giggle, like a little smile. And he goes, yeah, it's always it's always hard playing Marwan, but uh, he's such a good player. And he just went straight into a normal interview, you know? Like, he didn't really didn't phase him. He knew it happened. He gave his little chuckle, which let everyone know he knew he knew it was a bit physical and it wasn't really him. And then he carried on. It was great. The other thing that plays into his hands with the ref on that front, I think, is the fact that he doesn't do it back. And early on, he makes every effort to play the ball. So I think straight away, the referee sees, here's a guy that's not creating any any interference himself. He's trying to play everything he possibly can. Whereas I think one of the mistakes Ali made is that he he almost started to do it back. So the referee's undecided. If if he's not seeing it originally, he then can't differentiate between who started it, who's doing it worse. Whereas it's so clear cut with Gawad, he's not doing it at all. And he's making every effort to play when he can. So when he does ask, when when it gets a little bit harder for him to go around, it's clear that he's been blocked out because he, he's played everything else up to that point. Or does he save it for a nine off? <laughs> yeah, potentially. So do, do, you think, do you think, though, there were some shots there at the end of the fourth where Marwan would be way better off letting Gwad go get them? Like, I thought he had amazing position right on the corner of the box a bunch of times and he and he hit and moved a little bit like almost backwards into Gwad's line to make sure that it was going to go to a decision hoping it would be a no let a bunch of those balls were super tight Gwad's going to going to get it but hit a bad shot it's like you know there's there's got to be an argument to like he's doing himself some harm there by you know making everything go to a decision when he has the upper hand in the rally 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, that one where Gawad ended up in the floor, that probably the was no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that to me probably should have been a no let. But the movement yeah. was really bad and should have been punished. So it was, you know, kind of fair. The other thing about that movement off the ball, you're saying he always hits it tight. I don't think he does always hit it tight. I think that almost causes him to sort of be unbalanced. He's, he's trying to move off the shot as he plays it, and he sometimes clips the side wall and it comes out, and then he's stroked. When he, if yeah. he was just a bit more stable and thinking about playing the shot rather than playing the shot and coming off it, he might actually be able to hit a better shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, predictions for the final. I'm going to stick with Gawad like I did from the very start before it even started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Camille. No. The final, the final yeah. of the final. The final of the final. You won the bottom half of the at the bottom half of the tournament. But right, Camille and Gawad for me. How about you guys? I, I've been saying for all through lockdown that I thought Camille was going to have a strong season and I, I wavered yesterday and went for the upset, thought Hanya might beat her and I'm not going to make that mistake again. So I'm going back to, to picking Camille as well. Um, on the men's side, I think Gawad just looks like he wants to, I mean, Shibagi always looks hun- hungry. He always looks like he wants to, to win know. every two. What was that? He looks starved. <laughs> yeah. He always looks like he wants to win every time he steps on court. Um, but I think Gawad, just the way he was willing to dig in against Marwan when it got tough, suggests that he's he's pretty motivated at the moment as well. Yeah, I like Gawad. I think um, this court's been rewarding, uh, rewarding the winner. Um, it's just hard to come by. Uh, like him, like him slotting in a couple of those, uh, they call them the assassin drops in that front left. Um, and then I, I feel like Serms played early every day on, on, uh, on East coast time and I just haven't got to watch her much. So I'm kind of choosing blind here, but, um, I'm going to go with Nor. I chose her from the beginning, actually. Why, what am I thinking? I'm even changing. Nor Altayab. There you go. Perfect. Let's rock and roll tomorrow. Is Arthur frozen? Oh. No. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> He's going to have to edit this. That's for sure. Should I stop recording? No, I'll keep it going. And then he can <laughs> just figure it out. All right. Good, guys. Good stuff. Looking forward to the finals. Happy days. We'll see who gets two out of two. Uh, that's, that's us for now. Episode 21 or 22 in the bank. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Really appreciate it. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, share with your pals. We're going to part with our final audio diaries from Tesney Evans, and we just want to say a big shout-out to Amanda, Tesney, Declan James, and Ali Farag for participating and for being up for and down for sending us in these audio diaries. They've been really good, and hopefully all you guys enjoyed listening to what they had to say. Awesome. Signing out from around the course squash podcast. Boom. <laughs> boom, boom. Hey guys, so unfortunately this will be the last uh, last time you'll hear me um, recording a bit of an update on the Manchester Open. Unfortunately, I lost out to Sarah Jane Perry in the quarterfinals last night. Uh, majorly disappointed with the match, uh, really. Um, she completely 
she was sharp from the start, to be fair, and uh, absolutely outplayed me and controlled me and put me in places where I didn't really want to be. Um, but com- like all credit to her, really. She she played the match really well and was just the better player on the night. It's, it's simple as that, really. And she she like dominated the match and um, was really tough to play against. So credit to her and wish her the best for her semi-final tonight. Um, from my point of view... A bit frustrating that I wasn't able to quite move how I wanted to move yesterday. Uh, felt a slight kind of tightness uh, around my glute slash uh, hip area at the end of the match with Alison. Kind of just put it down to a lot of the squash. And luckily I've seen uh, my physio today who has kind of reiterated the fact to me that it, it doesn't seem like I've done loads of damage to it, which is great. It's just a bit of overuse and a bit of a shock to the system. Being back in competition and having two five setters obviously is not ideal. <laughs> Uh, for the first one back but in one way I'm taking it as a positive that I got some really good court time this week got some really good matches under my belt after having eight months off and not doing tons of squash due to obviously the injury at the start of it and getting all my rehab as a priority um, has been a massive a massive bonus for me I think and I'm really happy with how the week went and making another quarter final is is really good so uh, all positive from me um and yeah, looking forward to looking forward to the next couple of weeks. I've I've got some I've got two weeks to kind of get my body recovered um, and get this hip and glute right. So that'll be a major priority going into the next two weeks. Um, getting myself ready for Egypt, which I'm pretty confident I'll make. Um, it's not it's not a bad injury. It's it's something that I was unsure of how bad it was when I was on court, and it was it was hard for me to move quickly to the front and. Playing someone like SJ and her level, you just have to be you have to be on point. Everything has to be good and especially your movement has to be good to pick up her really good front balls and her flicks and stuff. So um as I said before, like taking nothing away from SJ, she completely outplayed me. Um so just priority for me going into the next two weeks, as I said, will be getting that right. Um and trying to get back on the court as soon as I can. Uh or being at the the, the hip recovers and and the glute does and releases a little bit. I'll be back on the court hopefully to get some to get a little bit of court time next week um, in preparations for Egypt. So it was a really great week. I absolutely enjoyed it and so good to be back competing. I mean, I've so, I've missed it so so much um, and can't wait to be going to Egypt and and get another tournament under the belt. I think these matches will massively help towards Egypt and getting those first matches out of the way is so crucial and we're not used to having this long of a break. So it was a shock to everyone's system, I'm sure. So really good week. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I'll continue listening to the show for sure. It's, it's great. And um, yeah, hopefully speak to you guys soon.